am I. Good morning. I'm Judith Lay, welcoming you to Praise, the program that connects faith and daily life. Man's Radio. Well, a week back into our usual routines makes Christmas into a distant memory, doesn't it? And services in Christian churches today include the Bible account of Jesus as an adult being baptised in the River Jordan by John the Baptist, marking the start of his three years of public ministry, teaching and healing. It's been said that Jesus didn't come and live among us to make us more holy, he came to make us more human. I'll be discussing that and much more in a few minutes when I talk with Methodist Minister Reverend Andrew Roberts. But first, a very lively version by the London Fox Choir of a great hymn, Thou whose almighty word chaos and darkness heard and took to flight. was the London Fox Choir and Thou Who's Almighty Word. Let's meet my special guest today, another visitor to the island, Reverend Andrew Roberts, Methodist minister and an author too, although, as Andrew explains, he didn't actually sit down to write his best-selling book, which centres around two books of the Bible, the Gospel of Luke and the book that follows it, also written by Luke, the Acts of the Apostles. Andrew's book, Holy Habits really came out of other work he was doing when he was Director of Training for Fresh Expressions. Yes, it did in part. When I was working for the Fresh Expressions organisation, they actually funded me to do an MA. And as part of that MA, I did a module on the Book of Acts. 
habits. So I did that piece of work, not thinking for a moment that something called holy habits would emerge later on. But you're quite right, it actually grew out of my work with the Fresh Expressions team. Andrew, before we move on to holy habits, what is Fresh Expressions? Well, Fresh Expressions of Church, to give them their full title, are basically new forms of church for people who don't do church, to put it that simply and colloquially. We recognise that today the vast majority of people have very little, if any, experience of Christian community or church at all. So for those people in particular, we need to think about birthing new forms of church, not in competition with older forms of church, but in partnership with them, so that as many people as possible may be introduced to the love of God in Jesus. The Gospel of Luke tells the story of Jesus' life. Acts of the Apostles, then, is what the Apostles did next. So if we're looking for something to model our life upon, it's a great starting point, isn't it? Well, absolutely right. Some people argue the book should be called The Acts of the Holy Spirit, because arguably the main character in Acts is the Holy Spirit, with the Apostles being inspired by the Spirit to do the things that they did. I researched the life of a number of fresh expressions across the UK, And I began to note in them many of the practices or the ways of being Christian that we see in Acts chapter 2 in particular. And that got me thinking about whether we could be more intentional about resourcing Christian people in recapturing those habits, as I chose to call them, that we see in the life of the early church. And one of the the commentators I read, the great Methodist commentator C.K. Barrett, argues that the picture of church that Luke gives us in Acts, he gave us deliberately in order, in Barrett's words, that we might imitate it. There are a lot of clues in the book of Acts. The holy habits that we've picked out are things that Luke mentions in particular in a short passage of scripture, Acts 2, 42 to 47. They are biblical teaching, they are prayer, they are fellowship, they're the breaking of bread, they're the giving or the sharing of resources, they are serving, They are eating together, which is a habit people seem to be enjoying a lot. Fellowship, the making of more disciples and worship. And I think there's different ways in which we practice these habits. Some of it is about what we do when we gather as church. But something I'm very keen to do is to encourage us all to think about how we live this as a way of life. So, you know, if we're serving on the till at the supermarket to practice the habit of serving, how do we serve people in a Christ-like way? way. It's not just the book. There's a website where everything is explained. What is the difference, Andrew, between the book and the website? This has been an unexpected surprise and joy. We put the book out three years ago, hoping that one or two people might read it, uh, and it's gone on to do surprisingly well. And on the back of that, a whole suite of further resources have been developed in partnership with the Bible Reading Fellowship. So we now have resource books for churches if they want to explore this way of life together. We have daily Bible reading notes now. They've just come out, new series of daily Bible readings on these. We have group studies for those in house groups. And as you say, there's the website as well with introductory videos on as well to help people do this. And our vision for the website, it will become a community space where people will share their stories of what they're doing. Because one of the things Luke says in the Acts 2 text is that all the believers were together. And our vision for the website is that it should be a place where All the people who are exploring holy habits can share their their questions, their critiques. You know, we need to learn together about this, their pictures, their stories, so that together we can journey on with this. I came across this quote that I particularly liked, and it said, 
holy habits, the name reminds us that these are godly practices that form us not just as followers of Jesus, but as wholesome human beings, both individually and in community. Isn't that so what we need? Well, I think so. It's kind of you to pick up on that quote, because I think there's an increasingly urgent task in these days. I mean, we live in very challenging times, arguably very dangerous times, politically, economically, with the climate challenges before us and so on. I, for one, feel a real calling back to some of the creation narratives of what it is to be a human being made in the image of God. And, and certainly the holy habits that we identify in Acts 2 can actually be found throughout the scriptures, both the Hebrew scriptures, our Old Testament and the New Testament. And I do think there's something in here about not just what is it to be a follower of Jesus, but what is it to be a human being made in the image of God? And I love the quote, and I'm still trying to find who said it originally, that Jesus didn't come to make us more religious. He came to make us more human. And I think this is part of what we're trying to strive for in Holy Habits. You describe it in a very positive way. This is an adventure. It's not saying this is a set of rules that you'd be well advised to follow. You're saying this is an adventure and we all like an adventure, don't we? Yeah, and and I think that's so much of what Jesus was about. You know, he said to those fishermen at the lakeside, follow me. And they didn't have a clue what they were doing or where they were going. And there was that sense of adventuring and questing and searching and journeying in that. And I think that's another facet of discipleship we can make it rather dutiful and dour but Jesus invested it with life and energy and surprise and joy and parties and all that good stuff along the way so again I think recapturing some of that energy and excitement is a really important thing in these days too the eating together habit's really interesting I did a service at a church in Worcester and uh, there was a guy there who introduced himself to me afterwards and I'm glad he didn't tell me this at the beginning But it transpires that he's a professor of politics at Birmingham University. And not only that, but he also works for the United Nations. And he told me how he's sent by the UN to countries recovering from conflict. And he says what we do in those situations to start the healing process is we get people around the table, not for a discussion, not for a PowerPoint presentation, but to eat together. Because in the act of eating together, people begin to recognise their common humanity. The enmity begins to dissipate and the friendships begin to form. And there is something, I think, decidedly godly and Christ-like about this. So the eating together habit, for example, is about a bring and share church lunch. (laughs) But it's also about making peace in a formal war zone. And I think that spectrum of applications is something very rich and wonderful to explore as well. How many of the stories of Jesus in the Gospels is he eating, is he socialising? Well, Luke loves food. In his Gospel, there are at least 60 references to food and people eating together. Classically, what did he say to Zacchaeus? Not come and do this course of study. He said, I want to come and have a meal with you. And that was transformative and healing and saving and all of those other things going on. But again, gathered around a meal table. And there is an intimacy about eating together, even if it's just a cup of tea and a biscuit. My former boss at Fresh Expression, Steve Croft, who's now the Bishop of Oxford, actually has an interesting argument about why Jesus chose 12 disciples. Now, most of us who've asked that question would say it's because there were 12 tribes of Israel and they were representative of the tribes, blah, blah, blah. 
Steve suggests that Jesus chose 12 people because that was the number of people that would fit round a standard meal table in a Jewish household. Now, whether he's right or not, we could argue all day long, but I think it's an interesting school of thought that Jesus selected a number of people that he could have that level of intimacy with. And in Jewish households in particular, the meals were particularly intimate, and that was the number he chose. And Jesus, everything he did was intentional. Yes. So the book, I'm not asking you to reveal all the secrets of the book, but is it full of practical applications? Is it a real how-to book? Yeah, very much so. The word that people have kindly used in many of the reviews is that it's very accessible. Um, and I wrote it with a, you know, a broad range of readers in mind. And people have kindly said they don't normally read books, but they've enjoyed reading this one. It's saturated with stories. I packed it with as many stories of real people living these ways of life. So you will meet some famous Christians in it. You will encounter Bono and Bear Grylls. But you'll also meet Keith the Scrap Dealer. These just saintly, godly, ordinary folk trying to live a Christ-like life in all these different places. And I think that's what gives it life and vitality. I think one of my favourite characters in the book is is Joy the Cleaning Lady, who was a church member of mine in, in Stourbridge in the West Midlands. Joy grew up in an orphanage. Her parents had died when she was very young. She had no formal education. But she was one of the most saintly and godly people I ever met. Her career was cleaning. She lived in a, a little council maisonette with her cat. She never married, never had any children. But I visited her one day and she had two friends around and they were listening to Radio 3, I think it was on the radio, with a pot of tea and the love in that room you could have sliced with a knife. And she exuded a godliness about her. You know, one of the most saintly people that I've ever met. And again, I think, you know, with Holy Habits, we don't have to be Mother Teresa or Bono or Bear Grylls. We can serve God as a cleaner. And if we do that in a Christ-like way then we make a difference. And again, in this world that is so fractured and broken at the moment, more of that quite literally joyful Christianity in Joy's case could literally make a world of difference. You know, we need to be more affirming of the ministries that people have day by day. Uh, I have a lady friend who works at the hospital and I often say to her, How, how's your healing ministry going? She says, I haven't got a healing ministry. I said, yes, you have. She analyzes blood samples to help diagnose conditions and to help people hopefully get better as well. And, you know, I just long for us to be better at affirming and supporting people in these things that they're doing. Again, being godly human beings and bringing grace and goodness and salvation in all of these different range of contexts. And again, these 10 practices, one of the lovely things about them is that anybody of any age, any background, any culture can live this way of life. You don't need an MA, you don't need a PhD. This is a way of life for all people.
Thank you to my guest, Reverend Andrew Roberts. His book, Holy Habits, is available from Church's Bookshop in Howard Street here in Douglas. And if you'd like to take a look at the website where you'll find all the resources that Andrew mentioned, the address is very simple, holyhabits.org.uk, all lowercase and no spaces. That hymn, Brother, Sister, Let Me Serve You, was sung in a service of thanksgiving for the work of the Mother's Union worldwide, when around 1,500 Mother's Union members from across Britain and Ireland came to the Isle of Man for their annual general meeting nearly 16 years ago, in June 2004. All the Mother's Union trustees, executive officers and some international representatives were here too, together with Mother's Union Worldwide President, who at the time was Trish Haywood. Delegates at the one-day conference, taking the International Year of the Family as its theme, filled every corner of the Villa Marina, but at the Thanksgiving service which followed, no single church was big enough to hold everyone at the same time. So the service was held in St George's Church here in Douglas and relayed down the road and viewed on a big screen in St Mary's Roman Catholic Church in Hill Street. Both churches were packed. Our own diocesan president at the time was Mrs Valerie Convery and with her team were responsible for organising this huge event which they did brilliantly. And at one point Valerie was proud to remind us that the Mother's Union had three and a half million members worldwide. Today, nearly 16 years later, membership worldwide stands at four and a half million, making it the largest organisation within the Anglican Church and one which continues to campaign for the well-being of families, the needs of women and children and the building of secure and healthy relationships. The guest preacher at the evening service was the then Lord Bishop of Soda and Man, the Right Reverend Graham Knowles, and it seems appropriate that we should revisit this particular sermon on the day when the Church celebrates the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist. As you listen, I'm sure you'll know what I mean. When I was 50, I decided to have a party. I decided that for each of the 10 years of my life, I would make a large clipboard of photographs of myself within that 10-year period. It was great fun to do. To begin with, the teens were completely missing <laughs> because I had appalling acne and avoided the camera like the plague. There were therefore a collection of rather desultory grammar school official photographs and a wonderful picture of HMS Navassa 
with the plague sign up because I caught chicken pox on a school cruise and completely messed up the flag system. Then there was, of course, the fact that when I was married, I was just ten stone. I'll let, yes. It's remarkably cruel of you all. And was concave rather than convex. There were then the various other bits of my life, ordination, my first job, and then moving to Carlisle. The great thing was that we put up these five big boards of photographs in the dining room. And as people arrived for the party, we gave them a glass of fizzy wine and pushed them into the room. And left them, really. <laughs> it was wonderful to hear the noises. Oh, look, there's me, somebody would say. And somebody standing next to them that they'd never met before said, no, that's not you, that's me. And before long, people that didn't know one another were comparing and contrasting the Graham Knowles that they knew had loved and had lost a while. It was a very good icebreaker. It was also terrifying for me to look back at 50 years in picture form. Why do that? Why do it? Because we have something very special, which is ours as a Christian family. Each of us can claim that network, and so what? If you go into Portsmouth Cathedral, as you go into the door, there's an amazing statue to your right of St. John the Baptist. He's almost naked, he's the form of a rather young teenager, and he's in a very aggressive pose, and he has his mouth wide open, as if he's shouting at you. And you watch people come into the cathedral wearing their cathedral face. <laughs> you put a face on when you go into church. And they're rather unnerved by this figure of St. John the Baptist, pointing at them with his mouth open. The great thing about St. John the Baptist was that he disturbed people. He disturbed the king at the time. He disturbed the government. He disturbed the church. He was a disturber. And one of the things that I think we are called to be as the church, and I would say as the Mother's Union, is that we are called to disturb. Most of us much prefer a nice placid pool with nothing happening in it. We like a church like that, something where nothing ever happens because it's more comfortable. And yet, St. John the Baptist was there to disturb, to urge. How the king, how Herod, how the church must have longed to shut up John the Baptist. How they must have longed to find out something for him that would have discredited him and put him to one side. But they couldn't. John the Baptist spoke the unspeakable, and that is our calling as those who are called to be Christian men and women. We are called to speak the unspeakable, to say the things that we know in our hearts, but perhaps we don't feel quite brave enough to say. The thing that supports us in the saying of those things is the network, the network of men and women who are out there thinking the same, 
and praying in the same way. John the Baptist was also the one who prepared the way. Hymns are very dangerous things because we quite happily sing the words of hymns because we like the tune. And in a way, it doesn't really matter what the words are. We'll sing along eight times through the tune. is fine. I'll just remind you what you've sung. Brother, sister, let me serve you. Let me be as Christ to you. Pray that I may have the grace to let you be my servant too. John the Baptist came as the archetypal servant, the one who was to prepare, to make ready, the one who wasn't going to have the glory himself, but was to prepare the way. We are called to be Christ in the world. It's a terrifying thing to be called to be. Christ, you, me, we are to be Christ-like. And as such, we are to be servants. But we also have to have the grace to receive the gifts of others. And how difficult that is to receive as well as to give. It's so much easier to give than to receive. Because to receive is to be humble as John the Baptist was humble. Our task is to make a world ready for the Lord ready for God's kingdom to be established. In your work as members of the Mother's Union throughout the world, day by day, you are working for that, working for God's kingdom to be established, working for peace, for justice, for equity throughout the world. But not just throughout the world, but here where you live, in every diocese where you live, in every town where you live, in every congregation where you worship. And you are supported in worship and in prayer by the network represented here tonight. A network, yes, but really the body of Christ. The body of Christ singing God's praises and working for his kingdom. Hold that vision of an ugly teenager with his mouth wide open, urging you to do things and to say things you don't want to do, because that is our task, to proclaim to the world the things the world does not wish to hear, the things of justice and of peace, of love and of mercy. And when we have done that, then truly we will have shown the world what it is to be a family. From the Praise Archives, the Right Reverend Graham Knowles speaking at the Mothers' Union General Meeting held here 16 years ago. And that's almost all we've time for on Praise today. Thank you for listening to this week's Praise Podcast. There's a new Praise Podcast available every Sunday morning. You can subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify via the Manx Radio smartphone app or at manxradio.com. 
But for now, this is Judith saying thank you for listening. And all that I wish for you and for those you love is in the words of this Gaelic blessing. Deep peace of the running wave to you. Station